Okay, okay. Welcome to the first episode of the Orange, Orange Man, Man Bad, Bad podcast. Um, we're live. I'm here with the illustrious James Sagan. Here with the illustrious Lucas, can't pronounce his last name. Uh, it's actually Luke. <laughs> <laughs> or Luke ends, either one. Yeah. Uh, Orthwine. Um, yeah. It's a common mistake, though, people. Wow. It's Orthwine. a super, super weird. Uh, Very close to Orwell. Yeah, um, you know, it's... Uh, we're not actually related, but it's one of those yeah. intellectual descents Gifts. Yeah. Uh, kind of things. So um, I guess we tell these people kind of how we came up with this podcast. and Yeah, well, we, we, we were sitting shortly, maybe minutes after meeting each other, Yeah. Uh, thinking about the ways in which the world seems to reliably be making errors in cognition or having some terrible aversity to speaking frankly and truthfully about things. Right. This, this isn't like a, a phenomenon that we're alone in recognizing, but maybe, uh, but maybe we we're certainly not alone in recognizing it. Um, but maybe it was the fortuitous circumstances that brought us together that made me think we were uniquely qualified <laughs> to have a podcast, uh, where we're, how, how, how so, how so. Uh, well, we'll maybe tell them the story. We were at a Warriors game, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, I showed up um, pretty much blacked out. And uh, <laughs> I thought you said you were sober. And, at the time. Well, you know. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I do and, notice that there's no slur in your speech, even though you now it's right, sober. Even right. though you said that was a <laughs> right. normal normal function. And uh, okay. and uh, Luke just started talking about the heritability of IQ out of nowhere. <laughs> uh, we're about to go watch a basketball game. And somehow he thought that was the most appropriate thing to talk about. Meanwhile, it's, it's through the basketball very, it's game... It's a very relevant subject to a lot of things. I'm sitting behind him. We're with some friends. He's sitting in front of me. And we start talking about Daniel Dennett, uh, memes, Richard Dawkins, the selfish gene. You know, a lot of these topics that quasi-intellectuals like to opine and, about. And, and actually, we were <laughs> talking about this in lieu of watching the actual playoff game yeah. that was happening behind us. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, thank God in retrospect. Yeah, yeah better not to be too emotionally yeah. invested in that. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, I think we both really felt that, uh, we shared uh, a passion for and interest in these sort of topics of truth seeking, uh, in particular, I think like truth is the, is a big keyword, right. um, that we both, both hone in on a lot yeah. when we think about it. Dispassionate truth seeking is a rarity right now. Yeah. And I think if you look at the world in general, um, there's a lot of really, really bright people who have sort of succumbed to this wave of political correctness mm-hmm. um, that uh, that has, has what I think is one of the most unfortunate events in, in sort of modern history, right? So well, you, and I think you can actually dig deeper beyond that, too, because first off, you have this sort of obvious phenomenon of political correctness, which mm-hmm. a lot of people are talking about. But then you have, you know, as a backlash to that, a lot of people who've started to speak out against this, a lot of people trying to sort of fight this, um, this notion and, and parties on both sides trying to kind of get their way or move the political landscape. And this has become a central political issue, um, free speech, all this stuff. But in sort of fighting this issue out, it's really, I think, revealing a lot of the core roots of why free speech is important, what the actual limitations on these things are. I'm very much not uh, an absolutist or idealist in any sense. And even though a, a nice compressed phrase like free speech might seem, uh, and it is in large degree, like really useful, uh, nobody actually wants free speech entirely. 
even us, I'm sure. Right. Though it's all a question of degrees of like how much you push that envelope or how much the, uh, the benefits there that come from free speech are worth the, the, the downsides which actually exist. Um, I think right. you, you and I probably both fall on a very extreme side of, you know, maybe beyond almost anybody else uh, that you'll hear in, in public speech. Uh, in terms of our belief for like how important the truth is and, and how important free speech is. Um, but nonetheless, it's like really interesting, I think, to observe these natural human like resistances to yep. speaking honestly, uh, the self delusions that people put on themselves and the attempt to create like simple cohesive worldviews that, that, um, you know, Maybe the simple point I'm trying to make is many of the people that I know of that are some of the most outstanding advocates for free speech are still absolutely censorious, yep. are still absolutely close-minded to yep. certain topics, uh, are still afraid of broaching things honestly and directly when those things are sensitive enough. Um, and none of this has to do with like crying fire in a crowded theater. It, it's much more of... There's, there's real human tribal bonding and, and, and uh, really re religiosity or like religious yep. taboos and ideas. All these things are so deep in the human experience. People are really afraid to mess with them. Um, and I feel like in this age of increasing information and change and chaos, like it's more important than ever to, to dispense those instincts that we have or just to at least have some reasonable forum for those who are really interested in getting to the bottom of things to yep. be able to do so. Um, well, anyway. people talk about these, these, uh, it's funny because in an age where you have more information available than sort of ever before, mm -hmm. uh, you would imagine that the dialectic method might win where there's so much more information. People have access to, uh, to people who agree with them, who disagree with them vehemently. And yet, uh, somehow, I think that those tribal notions that you just alluded to have been enhanced. If anything, when people talk about these. Well, it's, going, it's going a bit in both ways. Because on one side, there is a lot of truth being spread through the internet. There Absolutely. is a lot of counter narrative. Yep. Though it is, it is, yeah, it's not a lot of dialectic. I guess. Yeah. It's, it's you know. The problem is people are really. I I, I take some people. Uh, I'm not going to mention them by name, but people that I'm pretty close with, um, who have become sort of rather conspiratorial in the digital age mm. because they don't have the natural sort of sorting mechanism to understand good content versus bad content. <laughs> and so they just think everything is like lies and fake and well, whatever racist and misogynist. Or, yeah, whatever is most sort of, uh, sort of viscerally appealing to them, I suppose, right? <laughs> like and, they, they think viscerally appealing things are fake. Um, no, I think that whatever information is most viscerally appealing to them, they tend to imbibe yeah. as opposed to really, I mean... Yeah, I always take this this uh, this sort of like notion of you know four years ago you had Noam Chomsky and William, William F Buckley Jr. Mm -hmm. and whether or not we like the media or not the media was really good at <laughs> at least as a cursor at a cursory level of finding fairly smart people and putting them together and putting them in front of the American people right and that was the only thing available to us right yeah, yeah. so you had two hyper intellectual really bright people mm. um, sort of you know through the dialectic method trying to find the truth both of them earnestly interested in un uncovering the truth, not attacking each other in an ad hominem manner. Yeah. Um, and but I, so I haven't, I'm assuming from what you're saying that they had some debate with each other on. They had a wonderful debate. They've had plenty of them. 
don't I, I would just have to assume, especially given that format though and the time, that it was probably they were probably pulling their punches a lot or or pulling only talking about things that they both felt comfortable addressing in front of the American people, uh, avoiding anything too contentious. Though actually, it's, it's, you it's know, not they, true. They, it wasn't true. It was very contentious, and and what's, what's interesting now is uh, I also think that's because, so, it's so amazing because it's so distant, especially in the past. Like TV was yeah. so, uh, you, you know, you sort of the further you wind things back, the fewer channels you had, the fewer. Uh, yeah, because you know. it had to be appealing and acceptable to the masses. But yeah. the funny thing is, really sophisticated vocabulary. Um, you know, the way that they were talking to each other was really cordial and amicable. But the was ideas it on PBS the, or something, so nobody watched it. It's maybe like, yeah. um, <laughs> that's that's quite possible. Yeah. But right now, it seems to think, especially amongst you know, we both live in Silicon Valley, by the way. Yes, in in the heart of the beast. San in Francisco. the heart of the beast, we both work in technology. Yeah. Um, and, and the funny thing is, is most people, uh, no matter how high their IQ is, uh, tend to resist, uh, sort of exploring, exploring the truth, understanding what's the truth, even if, because anything that would sort of challenge the worldview and challenge their notions of fairness, these deep seated notions of fairness mm -hmm. are just too difficult to address. Yeah. Um, so they'd rather just not address them. Yeah. And, uh, and so I think, you know, you've seen that a lot with, and we'll, we'll talk about this at length at, at some point, you've seen that a lot with technology in general. I mean, Google fired, um, you know, you, you heard about this Google employee. James Moore, of course. That's right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And Google memo. Yes. Yeah. Because of the Google memo, which was, um, almost couched entirely in facts, yeah. um, was very dispassionate and had no and, prejudice. And, and, and in fact, it, it also pulled a lot of punches. It could have said a lot more incendiary things yes. than it did. Yes. Uh, I actually had a very interesting discussion with uh, someone who, who works at Google, who is a quite open-minded person, but might tend to take the other side of, of mine. I, I obviously don't think James Damore should have been fired. Yeah. Uh, or at least that was my reaction as an outsider. Yeah. Um, but this woman I spoke to brought up a very good point, which is thinking from Google's perspective, thinking from a market economic perspective, what's the cost to the company of literally changing? Obviously, his, his memo caused an outrage within the company, without the company, in the press. What's the cost to the company of actually trying to engage in this broad education and like ideological war with its oh. own employees yep. to try to convince them that actually this isn't as bad as they think it is? Yep. It might well be a really losing battle, an extremely expensive battle. How can you blame Google, even if what everything James Damore said was true, yep. for Google not actually, wanting to, to put the whole team on yep. their back to change these default Google assumptions? Google probably that made the right decision. They're a private company. They're perfectly yeah. entitled yeah. to fire somebody, right? Yeah. Um, so, and so just to that point, like that made me really question whether I can or should say Google, quote, shouldn't have done that. But it's not even Google. It's the culture shouldn't have forced Google. Yeah. Um, if anything, right? Well, and and, and and there are some forces that maybe we we would like as a society to put more of the burden of humanity's future on their back and push things toward the truth a bit more, or at very least, like dialogues like this. Hmm. Their purpose is to encourage spreading of ideas. You know. Uh, in ways that, that don't incur massive costs or that aren't diminishing shareholder value because mm -hmm. you don't have shareholders here that are that are yep. et cetera et cetera. It's it's 
Yeah, private yeah. companies have should have the latitude to do really w- whatever they want. In the yeah, that seems to the be company. by far the most efficient. Uh, yeah, I guess <laughs> I was more I was more yeah. shocked and appalled at the fact that uh, you know somebody who is who is speaking freely mm-hmm. um, and when their ideas were largely just passionate ideas, mm-hmm. I don't think had an ounce of prejudice in them, right, or misogyny. No, uh, well, though I'm sure they had a bit of frustration. Yeah. Because he's working in a place where the truth, and, and just to be clear yeah. on what this truth is that he, he discussed, James Damore was bringing up solely reliable differences and in interests between men and women yep. that lead to reliable differences in career choice, in school major choice, uh, that would of course lead to differences in uh, the pool of engineers available, software engineers available, uh, hint, women don't go into software engineering as much. Right. Even when they have the degrees to go into software engineering, engineering, right. they tend to prefer to go in other directions. And, and we're speaking of averages, and he made that speaking, very clear. He's made it very clear, speaking of averages and yes. bell curves and right. distributions. And his only statement was, maybe we shouldn't expect that yeah. 50-50 is like the optimal outcome. Right. We shouldn't because, coerce society or yeah, coerce yeah. private companies. Uh, or, no, coerce women. Right. To get into software engineering. Both. Yeah. It goes both ways. Let them make their own decisions and don't bend companies and bend what they say and the whole system around this notion of like how things should be because you ascribe some moral value to it that actually like the women themselves and their choices seem not to ascribe the same moral value right. to it. It's like this abstracted away notion of like what this group of people should, should want. Do, right. It's very authoritarian. And yet it's like the fun. group of people in their own free choices that are very free are not choosing in that right. direction. Right. And it's academia that I think has largely fostered this notion that there are certain moral values and there are certain ideas of fairness and equality that they need to impose on the rest of the world. I, I got a whole a whole diatribe I could go on on why I think academia is skewed so far in this direction. Let's go there. I'd like to hear that. <sighs> Student loans, man. I think I think the the meme of kind of Everyone should go to college. Yep. Uh, has been a really strong one, and it was probably borne out to some degree from this tremendous growth that America went through throughout the 20th yeah. century. Well-intentioned. Well-intentioned. Yeah. Everybody came at this with this positive idea that also, you know, frankly, you know, if you talk to, like, the, the boomer generation, um, these people are very uh, ignorant, bordering on, opposed to any notion of heritability or fixedness in anything. Right. Uh, they really entirely buy in, and maybe because, you know, the evidence wasn't in as much as they were growing up or it particularly aligned with their side's uh, fight in World War II where it helped solidify all kinds of things. Like, America was founded on this this myth that all men are created equal, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a pragmatic myth that allows for a lot of people to coordinate Well, together. they've accidentally conflated that we're, we're sort of born equal uh, w- w- equal opportunity with equal outcome. I think that there, there's a conflation of, uh, that, that's often... Yes, well, well yep. if you assume that all men are created equal yep. and sort of assumed with that is that they have the same potential for growth rate, et cetera, right, the right. same thing. And that's why, quote-unquote, then, then, hard work yeah. has been the label of America, has been the yeah. one isolated... Well, which, is, <laughs> which is funny because hard work is no different. Like a, a propensity for hard work is no different than a propensity for thinking fast yeah. uh, or jumping sure. high or whatever else. Yeah. There's um, no reason not to suppose that that's also heritable. <laughs> it certainly is. Yes. It certainly is. Yes. As, yeah. as much as, as many things. Um, 
But uh, but anyway, just this, this specific idea. And frankly, I think a lot of it was wrapped up in like a hard opposition to Nazism, mm -hmm. which pushed in the opposite direction of mm -hmm. heritability and groups and races and populations right. and right. the fixed nature of that. And because it's fixed, you have to, you know, take drastic measures mm -hmm. because there's no hope for ever changing anything. Mm -hmm. So there was the, the, the... They also ascribe the goodness to certain traits and the badness to other traits. And yes. I think that's a problem with these these sort of uh, you know, uh, genetically deterministic arguments, right? Is usually there is a tone to it which ascribes uh, a sort of preference for certain traits. Yeah, which is, which is highly subject to uh, temporal bias and like, immediacy yeah, bias. Sure. Like, this is what seems good to us now, so it must be good for all time. And sure. it's throwing out all the usefulness of evolution as a you know, sure. mechanism that's super adaptive to changing environments and sure. all this kind of stuff. And if stuff. somebody told me, hey, you're probably uh, not going to be an NBA player. You probably don't have the aptitude to be an NBA player. They wouldn't mm -hmm. use the word aptitude, but... Mm -hmm. I don't think that would be controversial. I think everybody would just laugh in a room and say, "Yeah, Correct. that's correctly. That's right. Yeah. You have there's a, there's a zero probability of you becoming an NBA player." But, but because you, because we kind of we never take that all men are created equal. Yeah. To mean all men are created equally tall yeah. and but jump high. But we do prioritize those traits. And it, this time, I mean, five thousand years ago, mm -hmm. that would probably be something that would be highly offensive to me, right? <laughs> you couldn't be an NBA player. You well, not like an NBA player, but if I, I wasn't the most physically inclined person. Right. Yeah. Though it would also be so manifest. Yeah. That it would be hard True. to to dispute. Right. And that's something about like cognitive traits in general is that they're not as obviously physically manifest, mm -hmm. at least in general. And less people can recognize. Yes. yes. Um, I think it's the recognition of. <laughs> but 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 to swing back to my point about yes. what's happened with universities is you have this this broad notion, you know, and you the, you have this, these notions of that everybody's the same, that the American dream is growth, that we're all growing, everybody's lot is being improved dramatically. You have a certain set of people who look at the other set of people who are making more money than them and they observe what those people are doing. Those people are going to college. Okay, well that must mean, it was a big part, it is a big part of the American meme of like the first generation college student, right? That how do we succeed? Well, it means that my kids are going to go to college when I didn't because the only thing that that stop them from going to college or, or incline them not to, or incline me not to, I should say, is I just didn't have enough money, or I was an immigrant, or I had to make money for my family right away, or whatever, saying nothing of like whether college is actually a positive investment for everybody. Mm -hmm. And this is actually, if you look in the past, college probably was a greater investment for people. Yep. Um, it's been a case of diminishing returns, honestly. Well, well yeah. so what's happened is you've had both in terms of what people do, and then also enacted it to many degrees in policy, uh, this notion that everyone should go to college. And it's actually a particularly American idea. You don't see this in a lot of countries. You don't see it in Germany nearly as much. You don't see it in, in even Australia nearly as much. But but in the West in general, it's a pretty heavy. I would actually bet that in those countries that uh, uh, the sort of uh, acceptance of society for, for folks who want to pursue vocational interests yeah. is actually well accepted. And, and I think there's plenty of evidence for that. And I, I don't know the statistics, so I can't. Well, they make money. Yeah. Like the kid, guys who go into trades make money and that right. gets them status. Right. Um, but but for whatever reason, it's an interesting question why that's been so unpopular in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Probably because we've just grown so much. Yeah. It's like when you have such a booming economy, everyone just assumes that they can be, you know, you the president of the United something States. something to that as well, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and well, anyhow, so you have this phenomenon of more and more people now need to want to go to college. Uh, what are, like, the the main platitude that politicians are dishing out is that, you know, everyone should be 
going to college or your kids should go to college or, you know, this is, this is the American dream. And colleges are, have happily uh, expanded to meet this criteria. But what has inevitably happened is that as colleges have expanded, and there are thousands of universities in America, which is nuts to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, almost all of them have a 100% admit rate, by the way, which is not something people realize. Mm-hmm. The only reason why they'll show up sometimes in statistics is not having a 100% admit rate, is they preferentially um, reject students. They, they specifically reject students that they think will not attend. So they try and get a lot of signal about whether you're going to attend, and only if you're going to attend do they give you admittance. And then they can say, oh, we're quite selective, even though, in fact, anyone who credibly shows they'll attend, they admit. Um, that combined with an ever-increasingly generous, or I might say it's quite not generous, but toxic and, and extremely harmful, like student loan uh, system that's entirely propped up by the government right. um, around this political idea of everyone should go to college, not around any market idea of college yeah. is actually adding value to people, yeah. has made college a place where the things that are done in college are not doable by... This is a very controversial statement, yeah. but they're not doable by most of the people attending college. Yeah. Yep. Most of the people who attend college could not pass any reasonable physics class yep. that would actually teach anything about physics. Yep. Um, and in fact, there's the vast majority of college education, I would say, is just like something to pass the time. Yep. And you see this borne out too in like data of, of people realize this in, intuitively. Yeah. They realize that they're not actually learning anything of value. And and yet still college maintains this like, well, there's a lot of value that I think people get from college around signaling and all this stuff. But, but anyway, you have colleges that are full of people who neither have a capacity for nor an interest in or gain anything from like learning the scientific method or how to really pursue the truth or how to become expert at some skill yeah. in the humanities or whatever else. Mm-hmm. They're just there to pass the time. Uh, with money that feels free, that's given to them with a loan that's guaranteed by the government. Um, and because of that, you have like this really stark and painful, because in universities there is still being real work done. Yeah. And this... this I, Although I think less and less. Um, yeah, less and less. But, but it's this first like crucible, I think, where you have... There's just such a strong tendency by the university who's so incentivized to take more and more people and more and more tuitions. Even the top universities have this pressure because there's always huge stratification of who they're even they're letting yeah. in. Um, you want to compress everything. You want to make every discipline feel the same. You want to make every student feel the same. Yeah. You want to have every degree have the same meaning. Yeah. Of course, none of these things are possible. But there's huge demand for that. And each student is paying to the university give or take, like forgetting about scholarships and stuff, which are in a side basket, mm-hmm. they're paying the same amount. And so right. they sort of deserve the same right. attention from the university, I think, as far as it's concerned. The same accolades, right? Yeah. And, and that, that is just a huge, weird pressure. Yep. Um, but to talk about your first point about student loans and yeah. why student loans are so evil. <laughs> they're evil. Yeah. They're it, super evil. It, right. And I think, like, usually the... They're, they're like a lottery ticket, I think. And they're just, like, preying upon a certain set yeah. of people who are not... It's highly predatory. Yeah. And the funny thing is a free market is almost never predatory, right? And, and if a genuinely well, free well, market. Well, if you... Well, what do you think? Do you think uh, if the government got out of the lottery business and anyone could yep. start a lottery, do you think that would not be predatory? No, I think the competition uh, would 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 up the prizes. Yeah, well, there's there's a there's a few things. It's sort of like 
I, I like to use this example because it's relevant to my business. Yeah. And um, and I've seen it sort of play out in real time. Um, in Colombia, uh, which is you know the, the country Colombia, uh, there's a usury cap on loans, right? Mm -hmm. And so you know the government I think was well intentioned, um, and of course the path to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the government was well intentioned in trying to prevent the abuse of sort of uh, disenfranchised uh, groups, right, mm -hmm. um, from, from predatory lenders, right? Mm -hmm. What they've instead done is created a booming black market <laughs> for, you know, loan sharks um, that don't exist in other countries, right? So the average interest rate, the, the highest rate that you can lend at in Colombia is something like 28.9%, right, mm -hmm. which is really low. So basically it prevents any, and in, in Colombia it's exceptionally low, mm -hmm. right? So it prevents anybody who it would be in the subprime category um, from getting a loan from any you know reasonable institution that's regulated. So instead, you see this huge asymmetry in rates that don't exist anywhere else in Latin America or the world because they've done that, right? And I think that argument is it's a fairly trivial argument. It's the same with it's, 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 it's so I I had the privilege when I was in college of studying under this guy named Al Roth mm -hmm. who went on to win the Nobel Prize in economics shortly mm -hmm. thereafter. And Al's whole thing was markets, like he's a market researcher mm -hmm. trying to invent interesting markets, and particularly the area where like you need a lot of weird innovation in markets is markets for repugnant goods, mm -hmm. um, where people don't feel comfortable transacting in a normal free market way. Mm -hmm. One of those, and one that he you know, gained his biggest claim to fame for was organ markets. Mm -hmm. uh, organ exchanges. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that it's really morally repugnant to people to sell a kidney. Mm -hmm. um, and there are many things like this, though, you know, prostitution is one too. Mm -hmm. uh, and speaking to your whole point about like black markets opening up and this, this like the role of organized crime in society. I, I lived in Japan for a little while and, but it's actually the same thing in the US too. The Japan, you have the Yakuza, which is like organized crime. Uh, here you have the, the, like the mafia or mm -hmm. whatever, all different, different organizations. Um, though in Japan, their attitude toward the Yakuza is very different than here. They're more just considered this like necessary evil. Whereas in America, we tend to take this really high minded, mm -hmm. uh, almost religious, uh, aversion to, right. to organized crime. Um, but what, a, what, a, what if, you know, mobsters do, well, they usually loan money yeah. uh, to people. Right. Uh, at usurious rates because, the demand um, because there's a demand away. for it. Yeah. The, the problem is that with these policies, they assume, well, if we if we cut off the supply, we'll simultaneously somehow cut off the demand, right? No, but, but, but you, categorically can't, you can never <laughs> cut off the demand for something that exists, yep. that, that, that will always is, exist. That, yep. especially if it's really meaningful to people. Yep. Um, it is interesting because like in China and in Asia, broadly, you see like really authoritarian... Um, Punitive drug, drug laws. Yeah, if you scare people enough, yeah, then you, you can you, then you, you can demand. Yeah, <laughs> but you have to really scare them, and the they have like China's arrived at a place where they'll just like cut your hands off if you or kill you if you deal like marijuana. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm exaggerating a bit, and I don't remember where the specific lines are, but they execute a lot of drug dealers. Yeah, um, they have more executions than any other country, uh, not per capita, but uh, I'm sure it's Singapore per capita, but it, it's very high. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so there are plausible ways to curb all these behaviors, mm -hmm. and you can actually make good arguments that some of those are very pro-social and, and good things, I think. Yeah. Um, Again, well-intentioned, yeah. which is we're going back to the student loan thing, and, yeah. and the way I think that we've, we've somehow digressed, but I think it's, yeah. it's pretty relevant. Yeah. 
the student loan problem, and it's always been the problem, and by the way, 2008 was largely uh, caused by, by sort of... Of course, know, this is government, 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 government subsidies. doing yep. crazy shit that distorts yep. the market in a way yep. that... that yep. Yeah. So they burden these kids with uh, exorbitant amounts of debt, right? And then you could blame, you know, like John Oliver the other night. He was blaming loan servicers. I'm like, how have you convinced yourself that loan servicers are the problem? And these uh, these, these are the people who just merely like administer, like they're just reside over yeah, and collecting money from people. They just call people and say, hey, yeah. you have to pay. That's their yeah. job, right? Yeah. yeah. They're um, not even Doug the Bounty Hunter going at them with, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, it's not even. I mean, there's so many regulations in this country. It's not yeah. even particularly. Um, you know, the, 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 can't do a lot. The mechanisms they use are not pernicious in any yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. And if you look at it, it, the problem is the government doesn't understand if you give somebody something that, that has a negative ROI, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Um, that usually doesn't work out very well. And so if you can give somebody that they cannot reasonably afford, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's the first assumption they get wrong, which is that, oh, these people can afford these loans because they get a college degree. Yeah. Um, but that's not the case. Yeah. And you will in fact distort the college degree. Yes. If you do this, if you let absolutely anybody get a college degree, yeah. and because why do they think this? It's based on the same misconception, which is the mutability of humans and it everyone's created equal, right? right? And this everyone is, this should is, own a this house, is, by the way, right? The, which is, was the cause of the first crisis, and we will have another subprime. We will have another yeah. crisis. Why should everyone? Wait, wait, yeah. Where do you make these proclamations from right. on high of right. what things should be, what people should consume? But but anyway, but this this goes back to where we first yeah. started our conversation. Heritability of IQ. This yep. is one of the most taboo topics, uh, despite being probably the best understood thing in in psychology. Oh yeah. Uh, that that there's tremendous evidence behind that we can point down to quite confidently, like a, a precise number. About it depends on your age and stuff like this, but but for for all intents and purposes, about eighty five percent of IQ is yep. inherited. Yep. And. And, and you can't do much about it, by the way. So it's, no, no, no. It's yeah, there's, largely there's no immutable. meaningful interventions yeah. that if, if you knew a way to improve someone's IQ, you'd be a billionaire today. Yeah. And because you can make a business that would actually yeah. do that. The funny thing is people think it's lifestyle. It's like, no, there are plenty of drug addicts who are immensely capable and will always be capable, yeah. right? In spite of almost anything that they do. Yeah. And, and to the contrary, you have plenty of people who can work hard their entire lives. No, and, and, everybody, and, and everybody, if you actually think about it, they know this from their life experience. Yes. They know they know that the smart kids tended to stay smart and they tended to keep doing well in school. And maybe they made a mistake and fell off, you know, the the path or maybe they, you know, succumbed to some mental no, illness or well whatever else. It's just but they obvious. never stopped being smart. It's just obvious to people yeah. if someone's yeah. smart or not. I mean, it's yeah. sort of an objective. Well, we're actually, yeah. humans are really good at yeah. measuring people's IQs just yeah. through, like, conversation. Sure. Um though we don't talk about it that way and we say, but you can tell if someone's smart. Yeah. We, we don't use the term IQ and you want a whole other tangent about like the yeah. use of precise terms versus imprecise terms. Yeah. Um, I read the, one of the, the, the writers I respect the most had this blog post where he was talking about how you shouldn't use precise terms. You should use imprecise colloquial terms for things like instead of saying IQ, high IQ, you should say smart. Yeah. Um, because it doesn't offend people as yeah. much. But I think there's a real importance to yeah. precise language. And there's a reason why there's a tendency about people trying to like earnestly discuss these ideas to use yeah. precise terms. Anyway. But, but it's these flawed assumptions. This is getting back. It's sort of yeah, these. Yeah. So, these so, so the, the, the granddaddy of all flawed assumptions is yeah. that college makes people smarter. Yeah. That it actually, or, or that the, for one, the things you learn in college are applicable to a job. Almost very rarely the case outside of some specialized degrees and the socialization is useful, but like 
only to a certain degree, not really that much. Right. Um, and the fact that people are starting from the same place and so that you can change what place they end up through these interventions like K through 12 education and college. And the heritability of IQ stats, IQ gets more heritable as people get older, mm -hmm. which is to say that like all the interventions that you try and do to change somebody's IQ, they diminish because they get dwarfed by the underlying biology that builds your brain yeah. and cements it and makes it, it's, it's, you have this, all this randomness in the environment. Mm -hmm. And then you have what's actually the constant factor, which is your genes, which are constructing your brain. Mm -hmm. And like any machine, you know, what makes it function most, what it's built like. Yeah. And, and there's very little impact that the environment has on like the fundamental underlying yeah. structure. Of your well, brain. I think there's probably a tremendous impact that the environment has. The problem is we have fairly uniform environments. Yes. So the, the variability no, but, but, in our but, environment but, but, is, but, but even still you can look, you look across countries and stuff yeah. like this and it really, it's not, it's dismal, man. It's yeah. not, it's not promising. You can look at like Kuwait versus Qatar. I guess I, I'm, I'm trying to yeah. ultra rich, yeah. Middle Eastern countries that happen to be super rich because they have a lot of oil and spend a lot on education because their whole citizenry gets a hundred grand a year and free money from the government as a you know payback for the oil they have and all mm -hmm. this stuff versus countries that are right next door, genetically very similar populations, mm -hmm. but who happen to not have all that oil. And so right. they can't spend a lot of it on education. They both get the same exact fucking scores on uh, like PISA international math tests. Yep. Uh, they get the same scores like like maybe one point difference. Right. And at least in these aggregate levels, like, like just, so just addressing that, by the way, right. Yeah. Would be assumed to be highly controversial today. Right. And yet and, it's not. And, and look, if you have a, but everybody knows with, if you have a beef with what I said, it'd be really easy to do a study that would show how wrong it was. But, that's, but no one does those no, studies. But that's what's really interesting. <laughs> most people know. Yeah. Exactly. They agree. They know with, it's true. They, they, they agree, agree with, with it. And they fully adopt what we're saying. But they really they go, think I don't it's want to confront dangerous that. to say. And they They're don't want to really confront afraid, it. Yeah. They don't want to confront it because they don't know what, what solutions might be available. Right? And because mm -hmm. you say, well, because nobody wants to live in a world, right, where everything is immutable, where yeah. you were born, uh, the, you know, you, you, you basically everything that's ever given well, to you is Well, and yet we're with. actually perfectly fine with that for most things. I don't think that, that you know, I'm taller than you. I don't think yeah. you're crying at night that you can't, like, yeah. extend your legs and arms and torso sure. and you do all kinds of things. that's because it like, doesn't have an impact on your livelihood, right? Um, or if it does, it's, it, it has less of an impact, right, than... than it, yeah, it, it's of less significance. Yes. And it doesn't have this magical status. A lot of things have... Yeah, it, maybe the livelihood is the best, like the, right. the income or whatever is right. the best proxy So if you look at it. income inequality and you say, well, there might be heritable differences in IQ... Yeah across groups, across ethnicities, across uh, regions, right? Mm. Um, that's a much more controversial statement because what you're saying is, well, none of this other stuff, none of this government intervention is going to help anybody, doesn't, right? Doesn't. Uh, none of, you know, and so the we already thing, know this. Yeah. It's so apparent from the massive amounts of data that we collect. You can make, I mean... The, the, so what's the solution then? Are we going to live in a perpetually, you know, sort of unequal society? Of course, and of course, <laughs> of course. It is impossible. I don't right. care if you could if you could undo the differences in IQ yep. with a pill tomorrow. Yep. Yep. Guess what? Yep. Society's still going to trend toward inequality. Yeah. Because then other factors will start to dominate, yep. and other factors will start to matter. Sure. And then some guy's going to get like a little couple extra of those IQ pills. And he's going to get a little bit ahead, and it, it, there's or no, maybe we would care less because we might be equal, sort of. 
economically, we might all have the same lifestyles. We might, but then, no, because some guy's going to get lucky. Yeah, <laughs> and then true. the lucky guy's going to get way more money than everyone yeah, else. Yeah, so then luck might be sort of this uh, this uh, trait. But, but but let's say IQ is the same. If someone has a tendency toward more risk-seeking behavior, then those people, half of them will be really poor, and the other half will be really rich. Right. Right. And guess what? Society is not going to care about the guys who are poor. Well, yeah. Screw them. Yeah. They made bad choices. But the guys who are rich, oh, no, no, we got to we got to stop that out, right? Yeah. yeah. We can't let them rise too high. And so then the only the only way you ever could conceivably end up with an equal society is where you engineered everyone's personality to be exactly the same, to have the exact same risk tolerance, mm -hmm. to have the exact same exact same very low risk tolerance by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to to exactly balance out through redistributive means uh, every dollar that the risk taker uh, gets uh, for succeeding is given to the risk taker who failed right. for failing, which by the way probably won't work to incentivize a lot of risk taking. Right, which will right. just mean that everyone will have to have an extremely low risk taking. Uh, well, I mean that that's sort of what is what is becoming this new socialist wave. I mean, that is the the impetus behind it, right? <laughs> and, 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 you know, all well and good if you want to live in that world, but guess what? All the things that you like about the world today yeah. that, that remove us from the condition of nature, uh, of, of deprivation, resource deprivation and starvation and, yeah, yeah. you know, horrendous things, those all go away too. And guess what? Like, you'd also have to re-engineer re all of human nature because if you had a whole bunch of people yep. who were equal with equal capabilities, yep. one of them would still group up, you know, 11 guys against 10 and go to war with them and take their shit. That's my uh, point is any one of these outcomes, right, is it, it, either through some sort of uh, omnipotent force, right? <laughs> you're, well, just, you're, no, nobody wants all the stuff that comes with equality. Yeah. If you, if you actually laid out, like, all the things that you'd need to do to get this, I don't think there's anybody on earth. Yeah. Uh, Anybody's a strong statement, but virtually nobody on earth would want to make any, like a quarter of those sacrifices yeah. to get to it. But you can't, you, the, 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 the way that humans react to things, I think one of the reasons why like the, the heritability of IQ thing is controversial, why the race and IQ thing is, is even yeah. more controversial is because people react to this information in a way that, that destabilizes society yeah. or that, that. You know, because if, of this, like, sort of, uh, you know, I, I think deep-seated human uh, spite, right? <laughs> well, well, yeah, yeah, deep-seated human spite. People on an individual basis and then groups on a group basis yep. are really interested in making sure nobody else has something that they don't have. Right. Um, and it's one of the main positive drivers around, like, people actually working hard. Yeah. Because they covet more yeah. they covet to be better and they right. calibrate it based on what other human beings are capable of correct yep. um and they quite accurately you know most of the time notice that human beings are pretty similar in a lot of ways and so if one's capable of a bunch of stuff then uh then i might be too but so going back to the student loan thing though yeah right? yeah and how it's sort of the genesis of this right yeah the student loan thing is is, is sort of uh I, I think symptomatic of this uh, this sort of uh, you know, I guess universal uh, inclination towards equality, right? Yes. I think that's part of it. And all well, well, but, but, it, but it's based on inclination toward equality is one thing. Yes, and I don't even have nearly as big a beef with that. My beef is it's based on a, at a known false notion, right? Which is that giving kids student loans will change our inequality. Yes, uh, which which by the way, 
hey, you can look at when each of these policies gets passed and all this yeah. stuff. There's no change to the inequality trend. Yeah. The, the, fact, the, the, curves, deepens, it, the curves just keep going at their same exact rate, pretty yeah. much, that they it have really been Because when you make negative ROI decisions in your yeah. life, right, all you're doing is further burdening those folks who are already disenfranchised. The people who are right? more likely to make a negative ROI decision are more <laughs> yeah. likely to, yeah, to yeah. be more yeah. poor and more yeah. disenfranchised. So, so all of these policies uh, categorically only impose bad, uh, further bad outcomes on yeah. these people, right? Well, well the, the, to, to make things better in any way is really hard. And it really requires, to go back to our big T word, like an understanding of the truth. Right. Uh, and a willingness to accept it, right? Yes. And so my question is, when we all have these uh, these sort of like, you know, fairly obvious understandings of, of most of this stuff, intuitive almost at mm -hmm. this point, right? Mm -hmm. um, why do we, first of all, I guess, let, let's sort of try to challenge some of these notions, right? Mm -hmm. Why is inequality, first of all, the sort of word of today, right? It sort of encapsulates... The, this new generation well, of thinkers. Well, well, for one, we're just following this trend uh, that is inevitable of inequality increasing year after year. Yeah. And why, um, why do you think that's the case? There's, what, what's there's, the a, there's a great book called The Great Leveler yep. that goes into this, uh, which is about the historical, uh, like the history of inequality, basically. Mm -hmm. um, the big reason for inequality increasing is power laws, is the fact that if you are a little bit more productive, let's say you have three people, one produces X plus one units of, of worth, of value, the other produces X, the other produces X minus one, okay? Mm -hmm. Those people will diverge faster and faster over time because each the guy who makes a little bit more will accumulate more and then he'll be working with a higher, higher base pool and that will compound and get bigger and bigger and that'll compound and get bigger and bigger. The way it works for investing also works. It's a nice analog for life in general. I well, it, 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 it's, it's, it works. It applies just the same even if you forget about money or you just talk about aptitude yeah. or social trust or whatever. If I'm a competent person and I do something that, or fame. that, that, makes, or, yeah. that, that derives value for others, mm -hmm. then people will start to trust me a little bit more that I will derive value for them again. So I'll get more opportunities. Okay, so now, now not only am I more productive than usual, but I also have more opportunities mm -hmm. to, to do more things at once, okay? Now that I'm doing a lot of things at once and I'm extra productive, well, guess what? Now I get super rich. Now this opens up categories where I can do all kinds of stuff that only people with as much capital as me can do. Right. I can move markets. I can do whatever. I mean, this is exaggerating right. a little bit. And in, then in for the progeny, scale. you know, you could, you could sort of assume yeah. the same thing. Right well, now. well, okay, <laughs> look at progeny. Yeah. My kids will inherit if we say, and we, we know that the, the best single statistic we have to predict income is not how much wealth you're born with, by the way, it's your IQ. You can predict someone's lifetime income better by their IQ than you can by how much income their parents had or how much wealth they were born with. Right. It, it, because our society is so fair. On average, but on average, if you look at the tails, but yes. Yes, correct. Yes. Well, the tails take along the kids of billionaires and stuff. Sure. Take, take a while, though you'd sure. be surprised how few generations yeah, that kind of fortune can be spent right. in. Um, they take a while to, to reconverge. Yep. But nonetheless, on average, and, and if you have a long enough time frame, even for the biggest tails, this is what you see. And I, I fully believe that this is like a robust trend in the long enough term among any, pretty much anyone. The, yeah. Sure. For all intents and purposes, sure. let's call it everyone. So, but nonetheless, not only are you giving your kids your wealth a lot of the time, you're endowing with them with 
half of your genes. Mm -hmm. And you also are endowing them with the uh, genes of your partner that you might have, you know, been able to select a great partner due to your high status in society or whatever else or the good things that, about you that, that, that led you to succeed. And so then your kids are going to be even better positioned, even better specially uh, distinguished from other people, which, by the way, is a, is a phenomenon that you're starting to see in America a lot. Not a good book about this called Coming Apart mm -hmm. um, by the ultra-controversial Charles Murray mm -hmm. of Bell Curve fame. Yep. But it speaks to a very real phenomenon, which is that the U.S. is becoming more and more cognitively uh, segregated or stratified. Mm -hmm. uh, people who make certain amounts of money and who have a certain IQ all live in the same place a together. population issue, right? Where, whereby usually folks with higher IQs and who have, uh, who have more status in society also tend to have less kids, right? Because it's a more responsible decision. Right? That's true. That's <laughs> true. And so that's a really, yeah. going back to, going, going to, to Hitler uh, and eugenic versus dysgenic things, high IQ is actually quite dysgenic, mm -hmm. which means like maladaptive yes. uh, in the sense that it, in the modern environment, often leads to having fewer kids. Yep. And which is, you know, relates to probably why you see the, the heritable aspect of IQ declining year after right. year. Right. Um, and they go at length into that, and there's the people who are familiar with the Flynn effect will have a different impression because of artifacts with that that, that James Flynn readily admits to. But it's, it's a whole sidebar yep. we yep. talk about another time. But take my word for it, maybe, or, 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 or you know, look into it yourself. The most heritable aspects of IQ have been declining since like the late 18th century. Yeah. Uh, thanks in large part to modern medicine. Yeah. Uh, rendering the advantages in survivability attributed yep. to IQ less and less important. Yep. Um, and the inhibitory parts. Uh, more important. Yeah. More important. It's pronounced that it's pronounced those instincts, right? Yeah. Um, and, and normalize your ability to have to take care of and rear multiple which, children, which which may well have been a great historical cap. Mm -hmm. On people's IQs, mm -hmm. like not evolving to get too high. Yep. Because in fact, that's a local maxima or whatever. Where if you get too smart, you start thinking too <laughs> independently or thinking too yeah. too high mindedly about whether you actually want to have kids or not, and then you don't have a lot of kids. Sure. Uh, sure. So anyway, there, there's lots of things that play into that. But, but I guess challenging this notion, right? Of we we're talking about inequality and challenging this notion of, of of why is inequality bad? First of all, right. Um, and I agree with you, by the way, I agree all, with all of your arguments on, on mm -hmm. why we will become uh, less equal over time. <laughs> but <clears throat> I guess the question is, why in the first case, is that a bad thing necessarily? Because it makes people feel bad. Yes. And, and, <laughs> and why is it relevant that it makes people feel bad? Yep. Well, you don't want to make people feel bad, maybe, whatever. But, but besides that, people have mechanisms of power. Yep. Uh, that are largely democratic. <laughs> well, well or, or, or frankly, that all boil down to violence. Yeah. Um, so one of the things in the past that you see is that in the past, it was actually really hard for the peasants to uprise yeah. and topple the nobles. Yeah. Because they weren't coordinated well enough. Yep. Most of the peasant uprisings that you saw periodically in Europe yep. and in China and other places, they all just failed. Because the nobles have, like, better equipped security guards who they pay, and they have, like, a good system of incentives that mm -hmm. those guys protect them, and, and they just generally win. And so this, like, threat of violence and force of a lot of disgruntled people who don't the have-nots mm -hmm. um, is not sufficient to, to overcome the wealth inequality that emerged in, in more feudal periods, mm -hmm. right? Then you had the invention of a gun. Mm -hmm. And the gun is the great equalizer. Yep. Um, 
I can't remember what the where, where that that specific line comes from, but whatever. It's, yeah, it's, but it's true. It's true. It's the great equalizer, and you had this brief period in history, um, but that happens to really dominate our our sort of historical memory because so many things happened, where all of a sudden you could see revolution after revolution happening right. because a gun is cheap and a gun is really is, is an effective <laughs> way to overthrow uh, yeah. any kind of of power that be. Right. Um, and whether that power that be, whether those nobles sat there and landowners sat there due to fair participation in an economic system or not, doesn't really matter because I have a gun now and I want your stuff yep. and <laughs> I'm going to take it. And that's how people, people act. It, right. So, yeah, but, it's but, made but I, power much more ephemeral. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, and, and, and today that's, that's manifested like political power, which is votes because we have these systems that are set up. To be stable, to discourage people from being violent, um, and to allow the state to have a monopoly on violence, but make sure that no one gets so pissed that they, like, if everybody, if half of the country actually banded together against the government, right. they might win. But, but the, the final point, sorry to, to go so long about no, yeah, this, yeah, yeah. the final point I'd like to make is I think that that may actually be changing again. I actually think that technology is getting to a place with drones and things like this that capital might be a lot more important than human bodies. Mm -hmm. uh, and that actually someone who's wealthy enough or a government who is wealthy enough could just buy enough drones uh, to literally quell any uprising of the people. Yeah. Uh, and China's certainly looking a lot more like that every day. Uh, sure. But I think the U.S. probably is too. And we, I think we're probably approaching a period again. private espionage basically as well, right? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All these, all these yeah. tools of technology that make the power of the of human bodies not so useful. Like it used to not be so useful before the gun. Right. And I think we've passed through that period and we're back to a historical norm where actually people who don't have as much probably won't have as much brutal, you know, base power to disrupt the social order. Yeah. Uh, which they, they, they still actually have more base power now just, just by virtue of our, the democratic systems that have been around. But the right? democratic system... Uh, exists for their benefit. Yeah. Like, what's the democratic system exist for? To benefit bodies. That's sure. that's literally what it's set up around. Sure. It, it respects the power of bodies. Yeah. And it says, okay, the body is the ultimate form of power because yep. each one of those bodies could hold a gun. Yeah. I think that's sort of the underlying assumption. As opposed it's to no government. surprise that democracy has really started to rise up uh, again in the world after classical period when you had guns. Yeah. Um, well, I think, and I don't, I, I don't think that's incidental as well, right? No, no, it's but not incidental why at all. Why is it not? Been, why has it has it not sort of been disrupted in, in any sense? I mean, in fact, it's more powerful than, than it's ever been. I mean, democracy, I mean, if you were Noam Chomsky, you'd say that there was, the, the, the wealthy and elite have propagandized um, <laughs> enough rolling, material rolling my eyes, yeah. where, where, whereby you've convinced, um, and he, he has a really interesting argument, actually, where, where you've basically convinced um, people to vote against their own interests, mm -hmm. right? Um, by attaching religion, right? Mm -hmm. For instance, which is which has been uh, you know a staple of the Republican Party, mm -hmm. and which happens to be more popular amongst sort of uh, I guess the lower class, right? And so he goes, well, people who are voting against their own interests, right, will vote for somebody. Well, Noam Chomsky is making a stupid ass assumption, I think, that religion yeah. is against a group of people's interests. Yeah, religion <laughs> is highly adaptive. In fact. Religiosity is almost certainly a heavily evolved trait yeah. that was highly adaptive historically, and yeah. I think may well be highly adaptive today. Uh, and, or some and, form of religion, and right? to and to promote that yeah. is in many groups' interests. Yeah, it's a it's a 
like there are many good things that everybody recognizes that religious communities seem to do really well and all kinds of stats of like welfare that we that we imagine especially i bet if you controlled for the average iq yeah. or average income or whatever of those groups of people but co-opting religion is a point right co-opting it knowingly you know knowing that well, preserving yeah, yeah. saying that we're on the side of religion sure we are we are we are going to help preserve it hey, that's really important sure. because in fact the opposition absolutely does want to dismantle it because it's not serving their interests very well i'd say right and but sure but i guess he's pointing to the intention saying oh well these wealthy um oligarchs of sorts like the Koch brothers right and of course i'm kidding right mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and i don't believe that but yeah but you know the that the this cohort of people right yeah. says well how do you get all the poor people in the country to vote against their own interests well they're all tend to be very religious, right? Yeah. So let's be the party of religion and let you know. And, and well, let's here, here's, here's how I think it goes. I think almost everything in the world is very much functions like functions very much like evolution. Yeah. Markets function like evolution. Yes. Politics function like evolution. Yeah. And ideas. People well. observe what works. Yes. They don't know why it works. Yeah. Necessarily, they might have their pet theories, uh, but they observe what works. And then they just keep doing that. Yep. And somebody noticed in the Republican Party at some point, hey, when I talk about God, people sure. clap. Okay? <laughs> Interesting. I'm yeah. going to keep doing that. Sure. Oh, now I'm getting elected. Yeah. Okay. Well, several other people copy me because they saw that I got elected and they're sure. just wholesale copying my platform. Yep. Oh, worked for them too. It's a highly all successful of a sudden, meme. All of a sudden, yeah. that meme is spread throughout a given political party. Yeah. And you don't need to understand why it happens. It just does. There are reasons behind it, but those reasons are often like, first off, it's certainly not some high-minded, top-down plan. Yep. Wait, these problems are way too hard to, to top-down. I agree with you, by plan. the way. Yeah. I, I think I think Noam Chomsky is uh, has become rather conspiratorial for his own benefit, by the yeah. way, uh, because he makes a lot of money by by, by, uh, by, by, <laughs> by promoting these ideas. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the the. Uh, so the concept, though, that, that, we're, that we were discussing, right? We've yeah. gone a lot, but uh, the, the concept was largely around uh, this idea of why we have these notions that we hold as, you know, sort of sacrosanct in some cases, right? Mm-hmm. Like inequality is bad, heritability is bad, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, determinism is bad, mm-hmm. biology determining our futures as opposed to some sor- social, uh, socially imposed creeds mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, reality is bad yes reality is bad what else is new I and <laughs> and and the solutions for that and i think which comes to the reason why we decided why, why we you know sort of have a meeting of minds here and decided mm. to have you know embark on this project together mm. is because i think we're both not fastened to those concepts and are think it might be very dangerous for society not to address the truth and not yeah, to i think i think it's super dangerous and at very least like who am I to say, I don't know if I can say, that everyone in America should be expected to fully download and understand every issue that human mm-hmm. beings understand as mm-hmm. they pertain to politics. Mm-hmm. Frankly, I think people already act fairly rationally mm-hmm. uh, toward their own interests in general with very limited information mm-hmm. and very limited uh, you know, uh, high-minded conceptual thinking around why mm-hmm. they make the decisions they do. Um, but I do think that there are real levers that exist. We might not have levers on IQ right mm-hmm. now, but we might have them in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, we certainly are increasingly able to tweak genes and stuff mm-hmm. like this. Uh, we might not have levers on politics directly, but it behooves a lot of people to be able to predict to some degree what might happen there, mm-hmm. what the series of outcomes might be. The better that, like, it, it, it's like, 
What's really problematic is when these discussions don't happen at all. Mm -hmm. And I think that the internet and podcasts and all these kinds of things that exist now are this wonderful mechanism that render like the lecture hall super obsolete. Mm -hmm. And there are enough people in the world who are spread out enough who should think about interesting issues that it's really valuable to, to put them out there. And, and, you know, I've been dealing with the politically incorrect for long enough that nothing seems to shock me anymore. Right. But I remember what it was like when I learned how many things uh, that were dogmatically taught to me were just fake news right. uh, and and how transformative it was in a lot of my thinking processes and, and, and I'm sure has led me to make better decisions. Mm -hmm. You almost never make worse decisions by knowing the truth more. Right. Um, and if you're going to say, I'm sure we could do another series of episodes on moral epistemology and... and you know, how one should live one's life and all this mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But uh, suffice to say, like, the the one moral truth, the one should that I think makes any sense is, uh, for anyone, no matter where you're coming from, is, like, try not to be blatantly inconsistent with yourself. Right. Try not to have one value and then deliberately undermine it with your next action. Right. Um and trying to engage in hypocrisy. Yeah. And, and at least to yourself, man. Maybe you want to deceive others. I don't know. But, like, right. don't trick yourself. Right. And I'm not... I don't think I should prescribe anything normative mm. either. I don't think I'm entitled to do that. Mm. But I think the whole reasoning behind this is because it's such a rarity right now mm -hmm. to actually engage in genuine candid discussion without fear of reprisal right? um, from the masses, which is something we both experience, especially living in places that are ironically elite <laughs> and ironically, you know... Well, full of people who are cognitively capable of thinking about these <laughs> yes, things, yes. but not dispositionally capable or have interests that conflict with them too much. Yes. Um, and, and I think it's really problematic for society to have sort of the elite intellectual class be completely disengaged from intellectual discussion and and, and be uh, promoting censorship in most forms. Yeah. Um, and they probably know, and they probably want people like this to do this, but they're just too cowardly to do it. Yeah, and, and maybe they're cowardly for bad reasons, maybe they're cowardly for good reasons. Right. Uh, because they're providing value to society in other ways. Right. But it doesn't mean that, that the conversations still can't be had. Right. And I think... And traditional liberalism, by the way, right... Mm -hmm. Uh, was couched in truth seeking, right? Which, which was the most interesting part about it. I mean, yeah. my grandmother, who's one of the, she's one of the founders of Amnesty International, right? Oh, wow. People would consider her like, you know, a, a complete left, must have imagined she was a complete leftist. Yeah. Couldn't be further from the truth. She despised socialism, yeah. right? <laughs> despised it because she, in her own life, saw enough evidence to convince her, right? It, it wasn't about truth seeking and it wasn't about noble intentions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Enough evidence to show that, hey, it just didn't work to go yeah. back to it. It's just, yeah. it's just a, a, a social policy that, that, that fundamentally does it, not work. It's an adaptive, short-term yes. thing to get you elected. Yes. It's not something that works as an actual policy. Right. Uh, it's great for politicians. It's really bad for the people. Yeah. And right now, I think we're, we're living in a time where there's a lot of young, prominent sort of politicians who are coming up, right, um, who are using that and co-opting this sort of short-term greed on behalf of the people who are spiteful of the folks who have done very well. Yeah. Um, to, you know, to, to, so, so generally speaking, I think that, you know, right now we do live in a very unique time. Um, in which most really bright people might be well aware of the facts and and are, are consciously betraying themselves. And, 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 or, or subconsciously, frankly. Sure. I mean, I'm always, you know, I'm humbled by the fact that sometimes everybody likes to uh, impute, like, intent 
uh, on people or say that this guy definitely knows this, but he's just not saying it. Yeah. Um, people, the mind is, is capable of a lot of schisms and a yeah. lot of uh, self-deception. Yeah. And frankly, people, you might show someone what their behavior was and the behavior would clearly imply that yeah. they know all these things we're talking about sure. or many of them, whatever. But they would personally not feel like that was part of their narrative. Sure. It might not have elevated the consciousness. Right? Yeah. Is your, is yeah. Your point. Yeah. Or, or, or they come up with other funny, I mean, when you think about how consciousness works, it, all the evidence seems to point to the fact that we're basically just doing stuff mostly subconsciously, and then we use consciousness to make up stories for why we did it to tell other sure. people. Yeah. We create reverse uh, narratives yeah. uh, to try to make sense of the world. Yeah. But I guess our ultimate point is we're entirely informed by evidence, right? Mm -hmm. um, I have no deep-seated beliefs. I really believe that. And if I do, I want somebody to dismantle them. and beat the shit out of me so that, they, <laughs> so that I come to my senses. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And and so if somebody were to come to us uh, with, you know, Luke and I tend to, tend to agree on a lot of stuff, mm -hmm. we'll have plenty of guests who disagree with us vehemently. And as long as we're engaging in thoughtful discussion and looking at the issues mm -hmm. and trying to understand how the other person is, is reasoning and to mm -hmm. dismantle that reasoning or address that reasoning, mm -hmm. um, that's all that really matters. And that's our entire purpose of, of Orange Man yeah. Dad. And, and I think I think it'll probably be useful for us, too, to go through maybe as we you know, do this podcast or in the course of some of these mm -hmm. discussions or before or after, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there are many tools that have been derived over time. Uh, usually by the scientific community, um, but sometimes dating to well before the invention of the scientific mm -hmm. method, about how one actually should and can go about arriving at truth, how one should, because many rhetorical techniques exist out there. Mm -hmm. There's things that most people know about, like the, the you know, cognitive fallacies and, mm -hmm. and you know, that an ad hominem attack is bad, which obviously our name refers mm -hmm. to a little bit, mm -hmm. and, and this notion of... of orange man bad, you know, Donald Trump is just bad, so <laughs> right, everything right. he says is bad. Right. That's, that's an, it's not a particularly clever argument mm -hmm. um, and belies a lot of the complexity in, in this world. Um, but uh, but the, the, there are many tools that scientists use, physicists, for example, certainly mathematicians, uh, to really say, am I saying something real or not? Mm -hmm. Am I just spitting hot air that could be replaced with another bit of hot air and we'd have no way to tell which one was mm -hmm. more accurate. Um, and you can debate endlessly about what the quote unquote real truth is, but what I consider the truth or like what the truth, the truth's utility is, is how can, can you make a predictive model mm -hmm. with what you're t saying? Right. And ideally, can you do so with Sorry. using as few words as possible? Right. Um, but anyway, I think we can go falsifiability into as a standard, right? <laughs> well, well, you doesn't even forget about falsifiability, yeah. which is you can't always falsify everything. Sure. Um, but if you well, have, Karl Popper would say you can, but 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 in any event, we well, don't well, that, yeah. I, well, I, no, I yeah. do kind of. You can you can definitely anything falsify that said. something's the best model. Yes. If you say something. And then you say that, that, that it's implied and you're saying it, that that's it the must best be model for predicting it the future. It must be falsifiable for it to have any sort of meaning. For it to be, yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, it's a total waste of time. It's a waste of time to talk about what's going on in the unobservable universe until or if you think there's some... It, even let's say we can observe the unobservable universe in the future. Mm -hmm. Let's say there's something else that we know 100% that we can't observe. Right. It's outside the purview of any influence Right. That could ever ever happen to us. We know it probably exists. Yeah, it is a it, it. 
the, the, the truth we're talking about on this podcast right. is not speculations on what's going on there. That's right. Because anything we say means nothing. And we'll right. never convince you of it, other than maybe sounding elegant and, and appealing to intuitions you might right. have or whatever else. But it's a meaningless statement because right. we can't provide evidence. Um, and at the risk of sort of like patronizing the audience, right? Mm-hmm. The reason we care so much about this right now, right, mm-hmm. is because it's very topical as well, right? It is. It's, it's topical to current events. It's topical right. to... to you know, work life, it's topical yeah. to, to the main industry is moving and the it's world. Been, it, it's, it's been a, a core facet of our of our society for a really long time. And I think at least in my in my view, it's at risk of eroding, right? And it's currently eroding at, at, a, at a very rapid clip. Mm. Um, and I think that's evidenced by, by academia, right? Which has done a, an amazing job at indoctrinating um, a generation, right? Mm. And so I remember when I was in college, Anthony Scalia came in and talked, right? He was a very bright or was right mm-hmm. um, a very very bright person and certainly deserving of young you know nineteen year olds attention right mm-hmm. <laughs> and instead there were protests outside yeah. um, to and, and there were and there were people berating people who came in and listened to him yeah. well, I understand I, I, you I, should I, oppose I, every one of his ideas if you think you have this argument. arguments yeah. to oppose him. But to censor him and to threaten to kick him off campus, right, which is a whole coalition of people who try to do, is not the right way to address uh, various issues. Unless you very dismally believe that his arguments are right and they're, but they're still against your interests. Yep. And you want to enact power. Yes. To just get what you can. Yes. At the cost of society. Right. uh, At the cost of truth. At the cost of, of... I mean, I, I had the exact same thing happen right before I went to Harvard, where Larry Summers, uh, who was a great economist, that you know, I was going to study economics when I went to college, and I was a fan of his, and I'd been, you know, studying economics in high school and reading about him. And the summer before I, I attended, he was fired again for saying a totally true thing. Yep. Um, in this case, about about uh, you know the different preferences and also different standard deviations leading to different aptitudes at the very tips yep. of performance in certain fields of, of math and science. And, sure. and again, he, he went way short of what the best data on the, the topic is, way more conservative than actually saying what the best predictive model that we have would say. But it's too much. He has to get fired for it. Um, and so I guess that's the phenomenon that we're pointing to. That's why I actually feel compelled <laughs> to do something yeah, and to and, talk about this. And and, 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 and and the reason why we're orange man bad, because yeah. we've skirted around this, but we should yeah. just say it, Let's stri- just say it straight out. Why are we bad? Is beca- and why are we orange? <laughs> because <laughs> I can't tell you how many conversations I've had, and probably everybody can observe this if they're critical and think about it, whether you like Donald Trump or not, the orange man, uh, the vast majority of arguments against Donald Trump are of the the sophistication and type of orange man bad. <laughs> and the only interesting information, if you call it interesting, that's being imputed is, hey, look at me. I, too, agree that the orange man is bad. Uh, but I'm going to check out from any discussion of why, how... Uh, because it's too complicated. And right? in, what ways, in what ways might he be good and bad? Yeah, it's too complicated. And... We want to be a part of a tribe. We want to be right. part of... We, the, and that's the, only been enhanced by, and I hate to say this because it's such a platitude, it's been enhanced, though, by, by these eco chambers and by social media yeah. and by the fact that we are little celebrities yeah. in and of ourselves now. And I think, I think the orange man bad phenomenon that you see, and you could, yeah, I'm sure you could point to the equivalent pointing to the left, some, you, know, uh, you could point to the equivalent for almost any of these issues we're talking about, but the, the orange man bad phenomenon... 
built into that are almost all the reasons why humans reliably fail to reason honestly and about the truth right. and why a tribal, uh, you know, identity politicking group, but it's group, been pronounced clinging thing it's been pronounced. dominates over search, searching for the truth or trying to problem solve sure. your way through problems. And it's yeah. been pronounced because we're much more social than we've ever been. Yeah. So it, it pronounces that what I would say no, relatively our, our pernicious base, our base instincts. human urges are yeah. magnified by social yeah. media. Right. Uh, it's it's uh, they're magnified and the by the internet. Of information, right? Yeah. And some of these uh, information is highly attractive to to our you know yeah. uh, Every, a, as memes they're very attractive. Everything is high leverage. Everything is fast. Yes. Everything is global. Yes. Uh, it is it is a whirlwind that's taking place. That's like amplifying everything from our libido to our amygdala to our uh, just just like. Right. All the all the components of our brain yep. are jacked in as cyborgs into this like greater cognitive computer that is the machine, right. the, the internet. So unless you have you're dispositionally aware enough and independent enough to think critically and independently, yeah, this world has distorted <laughs> yeah. the, the conversation. Yeah, um, and, 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 and that's why we need to figure out ways to bring people into. Uh, genuine, you know, uh, respectful conversation yeah. once again, right? Even, even if we feel most comfortable living in this sort of hedonistic, impulsive social media world uh, where all of our fantasies are ticked off, you know, and, and we're, we're feeling so great right. by engaging in all kinds of different ways with the internet, uh, we still need someone steering the ship. Yeah. Not to say that we should be steering the ship. Yeah, we probably uh, shouldn't, but... But, but, <laughs> but, but at least, like... You know, whoever happens to be put into the place of steering the ship, uh, steering many ships. There are many ships that go through society. Right. Should uh, could benefit from just understanding what's weird about our world and right. and uh, and how you can better understand it. And in, in the I think maybe the uh, the sort of the the saddest part about this is is that there are plenty of things to criticize about mm -hmm. Donald Trump. Plenty mm -hmm. of ideas, plenty of policies mm -hmm. um, that are worthy of an And I'd love scrutiny. to have those conversations. Yeah, right? But I'm not so interested in another Orange Man bad conversation. Yes, exactly. Yeah. No. But the problem is is this sort of blanket overarching criticism of somebody because of their personality, their 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 lifestyle. Or even, or <laughs> even what about his personality or what about his lifestyle? Yeah. What are you going to predict based on his lifestyle? Make a yeah. falsifiable, prediction, falsifiable prediction yes. of what he's going to do. And a lot of people are like, well, you know, I don't trust him with the nuclear yeah. uh, codes or whatever. Well, right, right. I hate to break it to you, man. I take odds with you any day yeah. that he's not going to be nuking anybody in the yeah. course of his presidency. Right. I'll bet you almost any odds you give me yeah. for as much money as you In fact, he's shown want. a lot of restraint in that. Maybe in that he's <laughs> one of the least hawkish presidents we've had in the 20th century. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, maybe Jimmy Carter beats him. I don't even know. Um, right. So. Uh, Certainly not a warmonger. Yeah. 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 Anyway, it. Uh, but that's an interesting conversation to have. Oh, look at this difference between perception and what is empirically happening. Should we reevaluate? Maybe right. when Trump got elected, you thought he sounded like a dangerous guy. Who would be too impulsive and, and just go to war at a, right. at a um, moment's notice? Empirically, that doesn't really feel like what's going on. Should we update our our priors? Yeah. Should we update our expectations about his behavior? Yeah. No, you can't because orange man bad. Yeah. So that's just not a Precisely. conversation you want to have. And uh, so th that's going to be sort of the general theme of of our show. Yeah. And um, and I think. Uh, you know, generally speaking, we're going to try to have a very eclectic audience um, in terms of 
not 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 to impose on 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 the audience who's listening, but in terms of who we're going to bring in uh, to discuss we, we, various issues with us. And, and we want to really push the envelope, and I think we we're going to push the envelope farther than any podcast we've listened to have pushed. Yep. It. Uh, and you know, if if there's one thing that I think James and I feel confident that we're particularly outliers in is that we really, really care about the truth a lot. Yep. Uh, and maybe to our great detriment and maybe, you know, it'll be the Certainly this, commercially, <laughs> it's to our detriment, right? Well, um, we'll see. We'll see. I'm actually confident. <laughs> the truth always finds a way, man. It's like it's like the role. The, it does. The it does. Jeff Goldblum line from Jurassic Park. Life right. finds a way, you know. The truth, the truth, evolution, reality, biology finds a way to, to, to work out and, and uh, there has to be something valuable to it, so... Absolutely. Anyway, anyway. Um, yeah, so we're excited to have everyone with us. Our first guest is going to be... Well, uh, well, we'll see. We've we, we got we to confirm our not? first Okay. Well, you know, um, we have a very exciting first guest. Yeah. Um, she's a little bit coy, perhaps. <laughs> um, and um, But I suspect we, we have a very interesting first guest, so tune in to our, to our next episode. Yeah, thanks so much. Signing off.